Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the Central New York Airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio here on the score 1260. Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross here with you on this Saturday morning. And Gil, we've got an interesting show today. Lots of topics on the docket. First things first, no fans at Syracuse football games this fall. Later, we'll be talking about some football draft prospects. Jesse Edwards still in the Netherlands and the top 100 series on our website, orangefizz.net. Also check the articles out on Twitter at orangefizz. And we'll have Tyler Aki, our associate editor on to discuss the rankings with us. But Gil, let's get back to it on an interview. I want to say about two, three days ago, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that there will be no fans at Syracuse football games this fall. No fans at at any games. Um, As far as I can understand, Cuomo basically said no fans and then didn't give like a time frame. So then now Syracuse Athletics is uh, trying to look into this a little bit more. And it's kind of like, okay, no fans for how long? Like not forever, right? So when when does that, when might that end? So uh, I think that there's still some things up in the air. Uh, But I I also thought it, it was kind of interesting. You know, Cuomo said no fans and... Uh, in college sports, and it was good to see every cover photo of every article that had to do with what Cuomo said was like a picture of the dome and the block S with Syracuse. Yeah, they definitely meant they mentioned that. Oh, that I know there are some Syracuse fans out here during the press conference when they were speaking to the reporters. So it's cool that Governor Cuomo recognizes the big orange presence throughout New York State. But man, it's it's just a really tough blow to take, and it. I think it's just a shame that it's just not looking good for college football in general. I mean, New York State did say they'd reconsider this at a later date, but as of right now, I'm I just my hopes are not up for the football season. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm ambivalent as well, or, or I I have my doubts as well, but that's not how I process this news. In fact, uh, I think if you're reacting like Tommy DeVito did and. He kind of quote tweeted a piece that said that there weren't going to be any fans with the kind of face palm emoji. I I understand the position that that Tommy is in, and you know he wants to play in front of fans, and and he's got something uh, to prove. Course, yeah, of of course he does. I'm not I'm not blaming him for that, but it, it's one of those things, and I think all of us are guilty of this at some point in the pandemic. Uh, let's say in March something was postponed for two weeks. And you were like, ah, I can't believe that this is not going to happen for another two weeks. And then turns out it's like four months. This feels like one of those where right now the hope and expectation should be that there is a college football season. And just, you know, I guess uh, getting all down about the fact that there won't be any fans is just uh, doesn't seem to be taking uh, seriously enough, the possibility that there's no season at all. Certainly, it's a little short-sighted. Um, one other thing, Gil, I hope the financial issues that this might hit the university with, I hope they're not too bad because we saw Stanford about a month ago cut 11 non-revenue sports. And I just hope that's not the case in Syracuse because there are 
programs that bring in less revenue like cross country, like, well, I don't think women's lacrosse will get cut, but programs of that nature, like the crew team that have top quality athletes, but you know, they just might not make the cut because football and basketball at the end of the day are sports that bring in the bucks. Yeah, luckily we haven't seen that many sports cut in the power fives, but it's definitely something that's kind of ravaged the lower levels of division one. And that's been a really sad thing to see. Um, if you're a, if you're a program like Syracuse, you're lucky because you get the, the TV money, obviously everyone knows about that, but then don't forget about the contract with Nike, uh, for example. And, and, um, you know, some of those major sponsorships that, that Syracuse has. So I would guess, and, and I'm, you know, do not quote me on this, I would think that ticket revenue is nothing over what I would I would be shocked if it were over 20% of the program's revenue. I think it might be closer to like 10. Does that sound right to you? I I know we don't have these numbers, but that I mean that seems about right because Syracuse football it's not like they're packing 100,000 fans into the dome. If it was a school like maybe a Penn State, a Tennessee, a Michigan, Maybe then, you know, more questions start to get asked just because of how much revenue those schools bring in every single Saturday. Even so, though, it's like if you're charging average ticket price, like 45 bucks, you're just not going to. And then what? There aren't that many games in the season. So you're not going to come anywhere close to the kind of gobs of money that are being thrown around, you know, between ESPN and the ACC. So. I don't know I don't know what the the TV contract money looks like and I don't know how much money uh, college football stands to lose if they don't get any product at all and they don't get on television that's probably where you might have to ring the alarm bells and uh, I'm also I'm, I'm holding out hope that uh, you know if things get to a certain point that maybe towards the the end of the college football season perhaps uh, maybe there will be fans again it, this was kind of weird because, because the announcement did not have any kind of time stamping. It was just this kind of indefinite sort of kind of unclear uh, declaration. Well, it seems like there have been a lot of those surrounding the college football season as of late. The ACC hasn't announced any sort of schedule for the Syracuse football team. Uh, Reports say that they could be considering maybe a five-game home-and-home schedule. So Syracuse would play five other teams in the ACC. And Gil, I wrote an article about this the other day, sort of predicting maybe the random sort of divisions that the ACC could put Syracuse into. And it turns out to be really interesting the way that these things could turn out. Because Notre Dame, according to ACC Commissioner John Swafford, will be awarded games if it turns out that college football is just completely shot or if the ACC does realign its schedule they're going to have to give Notre Dame some games and it seems like Syracuse in that northern clump of schools would end up traveling out to South Bend and playing another top 10 team yeah I I mean that would be fun I guess on the other hand I I do kind of question what makes Notre Dame so special that they don't have to join a conference and I don't think I'm alone in that I mean this is just kind of you know it's it's a little bit uh it's a little bit questionable 
because I mean they are they're just kind of playing by their own rules and uh, I'd like to see them join a conference. So that's that's my reaction. I know I'm not like even addressing what you just said, but that's kind of all I could get into my head. <laughs> I completely agree. Notre, Notre Dame should be in a conference and it doesn't make much sense that they're in the ACC if we're being completely honest. Like there is nothing Atlantic Coast about a team in Indiana. But the other four teams in this, I guess, northern northern region that Syracuse would face, if we're breaking it down regionally, because I think that makes the most sense, separate the teams by location, reduce the amount of travel, and hopefully, I, I mean, my big hope is Syracuse doesn't have to go to Florida or anywhere in the south because that just seems like a no-no right now. But other than Notre Dame, Syracuse would face Louisville, which could be pretty iffy, especially after what we saw last year, BC and Pitt, which should, I think, I mean, Syracuse should beat BC. There's no question about it next year. If Syracuse plays Boston College, I think they have to win those games. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know if that if, if that stands out as extraordinarily difficult, extraordinarily easy. I mean, I'm a little bit, at this point, to be honest, a little uh, more interested in just the plausibility of, of this happening. And, I mean, okay, am I on the... Am I in the right mindset here? The idea is to avoid getting in a plane. Is that the goal here? Or would they be flying to these places anyway? Because these are, I mean, not all of these are the most uh, short bus rides. I mean, is that yes, the Sy- idea here? I guess. I mean, Syracuse is somewhat isolated. and t- like It's not like Virginia, Virginia Tech, where, you know, four-hour right. bus ride or North Carolina, you got three ACC schools right smack dab in there. So... It's tough because Syracuse is sort of isolated location-wise. There's no there's no good school. I mean, unless we're talking about the Colgates of the world where Syracuse could just go back and forth on a bus. So I guess I don't really, I don't see the benefit of this. And honestly, I, I don't quite understand the benefit of not going out of conference either. I, I'm just not, I'm not seeing a world in which it's like, oh, like, uh, a four-hour plane ride is one thing, but a six-hour plane ride, now we're getting risky. I, I don't understand this. And and this is an example. There's there's a couple things, and we'll get to this with basketball and what Jim Beheim, um thought of some of the suggestions that are being thrown around uh, for basketball season. I just feel like some of the changes that are being made, uh, maybe I'm the idiot, maybe the joke's on me and I'm missing something, but I feel like some of them don't address any particular problem i agree i mean i wrote in my article the big 10 going to conference only because ohio state can only contract the coronavirus when they beat youngstown state by 70 like (laughs) does it doesn't really make that much sense just going to conference only because some of these conference teams are pretty far i mean in the pac-12 you're going from washington down to arizona that that's more than a six-hour like it's there's no real difference i guess and like you're trying to say, go. there's right. no real difference in playing a conference game or playing a non-conference game. You're still going to a different location off of campus. I mean, if we're going to have college football, I think it just makes the most sense if a team is in a high-risk state, a Florida, a Texas, an Arizona, just move them somewhere else. Have them quarantine, have them stay in a safer location, and then, hey, if Miami has to play all their games in Massachusetts, that's what happens. But they're student athletes. You can't you can't move them. Like that's the challenge here. Uh, the best piece I 
I don't know if it's the best piece I've read on this, but um, you know, I, I read a good piece by Jason Gay of the Wall Street Journal, and he was like, look, among the problems is this. College football has a million cooks in the kitchen, and part of that is conferences and high-powered programs and the NCAA itself and state governments. It took a million years, and this is, this is straight from Jason Gay's piece. It took a million years for them to get a playoff system. It took a million years for college football to, well, it will take them a million years to work out the name, image, and likeness. And it seems really difficult for them to actually like put together a, co- a coherent plan on the fly when it comes to something as complicated as this virus. It doesn't seem like there's any plan at the moment. And we might see some Syracuse players, if there is a season, choose to sit out Andre Sisco, namely among them. We'll talk about him and more Syracuse stars coming up on Fizz Radio. Don't go anywhere. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross here with you today. And Gil, I mentioned Andre Sisco before the break. We've got a couple pieces up on the site, orangefizz.net, talking about his legacy, his impact, all that sort of stuff. We've got all the Andre Sisco coverage there is. And also, check out those articles on Twitter as well, at Orange Fizz. And so, Gil, Bruce Feldman of The Athletic released a list the other day of 50 freaks in college football. And freaks meaning that a player has some physical attribute that is outstanding, whether it be strength, speed, uh, whatever the case may be, elusiveness, and uh, velocity. Velocity, exactly. And Andre Sisco and Trill Williams were on that list. Williams for said velocity and Sisko for his speed and sneaky strength. So what do you, first of all, okay, let's just talk about this velocity thing before we go anywhere else. What are your opinions on Trill Williams and velocity? I, I have no idea what that means. I mean, let's just, it, it's not mentioned in the blurb, like the, I don't know, uh, let's see. Feldman talks about his vertical jump, which is uh, 40 inches. His 40 is a 4.34. That's an excellent 40-yard dash. Uh, he's up about 20 pounds since last year, and he can bench 225 17 times. Somehow, we took all of that information, and we got to velocity. Maybe it's the three forced fumbles in 2019. Does velocity force the football out at a higher rate? Is that where we're going? I've never seen his fastball, but unless we're talking about... <laughs> Uh, what Trill Williams can do on the pitcher's mound. I really have no idea what to make of it. Uh, but number 16, I mean, this is this is taking to account every football player in Division One. That's impressive for Trill. And I was happy that he's above Andre Sisco because to me he is more of an athletic specimen uh, than, than Sisco. It's always stood out to me about uh, watching Trill Williams live how big he is. Yeah. And I mean, being a defensive back, I've always thought that these are the best athletes on the field. Certainly. Because yeah, you're lining up against, you know, these incredible athletes that are wide receivers who know exactly where they are going to go slash are supposed to go. And as a DB, you, you got to react and, and stay with the guy. I mean, that's incredible. 
on so many levels. Trill Williams is six foot two, and he's not letting uh, and he's covering receivers. I mean, it's just uh, it's an incredible combination of size and speed. Just a couple ACC guys that were listed above of Trill Williams. Carlos Boogie Basham of Wake Forest at number two, uh, who he's six three and a half, two eighty, and he benches more than four hundred and squats more than seven hundred. Jeez, two two Atwell, Louisville receiver at six, uh, squats triple his body weight, bench presses double his body weight, and runs a four two six forty. That is fast. Um, and then Anthony Schwartz, Auburn, world-class speed. Caleb Farley of Virginia Tech, world-class speed. So all of these guys above Trill Williams are just speed guys, but I guess velocity covers more than speed. Moving to Andre Sisco, he got the speed tag as well as sneaky strength. And I think as well, sneaky strength goes for the nose to the football. Well, yeah, I mean, he's getting a lot bigger every year. And I remember uh, Dino Babers made some pun about, like, get ready to see the guns show this year in classic uh, Babers fashion because uh, Cisco worked hard in the weight room. He was really skinny as a freshman. But, you know, he's always been long, rangy, fast. Uh, you can see when he intercepts the ball and gets ahead of steam the other way, he's really a threat to take it back because of his speed. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, Cisco's another guy who's uh, just a really, you know, menacing force from the safety position with, I think what stands out is how much ground he covers, and that's why that's why he's a ball hawk. It's a lot about anticipation, you know, football IQ, but at the end of the day, you see the ball released out of the quarterback's hand, and you got to break to the spot. And I think Cisco is just so fast to the spot. That's what's catching people's eyes. Absolutely. And the the two stats that are really key here for those interceptions are those four, that 4-1 four shuttle time, the ability to cut quickly in different directions, and the 36-inch vertical jump going up, high-pointing the ball, snagging it out of the air. And, I mean, if ball hawk, I, I honestly would count ball hawk as an attribute and just I think the high football IQ shines through as well when we're talking about Andre Cisco. Yeah, I, I got one more thing on this, which is uh, last season, um, I actually surveyed the players on some of this stuff. I, I went to as many players as I could, and uh, I asked them, who's got the highest football IQ? Who's the toughest? Who's the strongest? Who's the quickest? For the strongest category, um, it, was, it was mainly two names that I would hear. It's Josh Black, who The Rock shouted out for... Uh, for a the backflip on the wall. Yeah. I mean, he is strong, but he is athletic. Uh, and then the other guy is Jarvion Howard, who I think is very freaky. Very freaky. He's just not as good a player as Trill or Cisco, so I don't think he would make Bruce Feldman's list. But I'm pretty sure in the weight room, like when it comes to squatting and all that, Jarvion is the guy who kind of turns heads in the locker room. And then for the quickest category... I was getting Sean Riley from pretty much everyone. I mean, how so. could you not? That that's the speed on Sean Riley's ridiculous. I actually really love Jarvion Howard. I mean, it makes sense that he's an absolute beast in the weight room. That dude's built like a Mack truck. Like he will run you over no problem. And honestly, because he has that and I think he has some pretty decent straight line speed as well. I think people sleep on his Agreed. sleep on his straight line speed. Gil uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out a little hot take here. I like Jarvion Howard to take a bulk of the carries 
maybe, you know, I don't think he'll start, obviously, but I think maybe throughout ACC play, he'll see a lot more carries than people expect him to. I hope. I mean, I've I've also, I've always been a big fan of Jarvion. He's a little bit, I don't know, I, I feel like if, if a hole doesn't open up, he normally doesn't make much happen uh, because he's not very elusive. Um, but I'm... I'm kind of with you on that, but I do think Abdul Adams will be the primary. Uh, he's definitely earned it, but I don't know. Sometimes Howard flashes something, and I'm just I, I, I he agree. wows me. And Abdul Adams doesn't always do that for me. So moving on to basketball, Syracuse has started practicing. Oh, the coaches and players are back on campus. The Q's basketball Instagram account has posted pictures of players in mellow wearing face masks and getting some good work in, which is awesome to see. The freshmen are on campus, Anselm, uh, Woody Newton, and Kadari Richmond. However, Jesse Edwards is not on campus. The sophomore center is still in the Netherlands. Yeah, we're, we're waiting on Jesse. Uh, Jim Beheim said that, that he expects that he'll make his way over soon. Um, and I actually think it'll be in the coming days, if not the coming weeks, I, I think Jesse Edwards is going to be able to come here. One thing that uh, our government in the U.S. has been very accommodating of is athletes. And uh, I, I think more so than like the EU, for example, where uh, athletes are still having problems. I know at, I, as a country, policy-wise, we've been trying to get the athletes kind of a, a free pass. Yeah, Nikola Jokic, not not a Syracuse player, obviously, but Nikola Jokic of the Denver mm-hmm. Nuggets uh, was in his home country and got the coronavirus, but quarantined there, then came to the U.S. and is now in Orlando in that bubble. Uh, Gil, one thing Jim Beheim said is that he thinks the hoop season should start when Syracuse students leave for Thanksgiving break at the end of November. He said... What's the difference between January 1st and November 10th? Nothing. There's not going to be any vaccine. There are going to be the same issues. I think it's safe to play games when nobody is on campus. By that time, you'll see how this all plays out. So are we agreeing with Jim Beheim that we should just go for it in terms of the basketball season once the students leave campus? Yeah. This is another example of like a a policy that... I just don't understand how it's helpful, um, you know, to to postpone the season. It's like, why? I, I agree with exactly what Beheim said. What is going to be different in a month, two months? Unless, at the end of the day, in the, in the larger picture, we are waiting for science here. But we don't know when science is going to come make this better. Absolutely. So it's probably not going to be in between... Um, December and, and January, right? It's probably, or, or February or, or whatever the season is potentially postponed until. So I think Jim Beheim's right. I Do you? Yeah, I agree. Especially if the athletes can be on campus with the regular student population. And if there aren't any issues in Syracuse with the coronavirus, especially if, the, if none of the athletes catch COVID-19 and they can stay on campus throughout the whole time, Yeah, absolutely. Why not go for it? If there are issues, especially within the athlete population, then we slow it down, of course. Uh, If there are issues within the regular student body, that's tough. I mean, are the athletes sent to a separate area? Do they have to quarantine in a different location than the rest of the student body? 
because Syracuse is going to be pretty strict with the regular students. A couple things. Uh, one, I think another good point is that if you have the students leave and come back, that's where that's where you kind of lose control, right? Because Syracuse, the, the numbers are pretty good. I mean, statewide, but especially in central New York, the numbers are pretty good, and, and hopefully they stay that way. But once you send everyone home, that's where you are getting affected by whatever is going on in Florida, in Texas, in California, or, or whatever it be, right? So I think part of the rationale of starting sooner rather than later is just not having basically all the students. Yeah, not having all the travel. Um, but I think your point gets to what was my main takeaway from from uh, everything that Jim Beheim said. I thought his best point was was this. The players want to play, so they're actually going to be, be careful. And I actually, I didn't think about this, but I think he's right. I don't think the behavior is going to be as irresponsible when it comes to in-season Division one athletes as it likely will be for the rest of the student body. I'm actually optimistic that the players are going to be responsible. here. Absolutely. Because some of these guys, I mean, maybe not this year, but guys like Quincy Garrier are playing for their NBA draft stock in a year or two. They need this film. They need these minutes. This could be Garrier's season to shine. So I certainly hope that athletes will be taking all the full precautions. I hope that students will as well, but I agree with you, Gil. There's no telling what normal students will do on campus, but I also completely agree with you that Syracuse athletes, well, I certainly hope and I would expect them to be taking all the precautions they possibly can to stay safe. Uh, but the bubble thing has worked. We've seen it with the NBA. I mean, the MLS was a little shaky. Is the, is the bubble maybe a possibility for athletes? Could we see something like that? I don't think it is. It's just that that doesn't fall in line with amateurism. It just, I just don't think it can work. Um, I don't even think if you send all of the, the students home, that's where like it gets difficult. Can we keep that? Like can Syracuse keep the athletes on campus and send the rest of the student body home? That is just throwing, you know, student athlete out the window. That's why, again, that's one of the reasons why it's so much harder to work this out um, in college. But I do think, you know, one positive thing um, is that if anyone is going to say, eh, I'll skip Fagans tonight or for the rest of the semester, I'm good. I, I just, it's going to be a guy who's supposed to play Duke on Saturday night. I'm sorry. Exactly. And we hope that Syracuse will face Duke in the near future. Uh, Gil, I mentioned the bubble because there are some Cuse alums in the NBA bubble in Orlando, Jeremy Grant. Michael Carter-Williams, and Carmelo Anthony. These might be some names we could see on the Orange Fizz Top 100 list, which is going to be coming out this week and in the following weeks. So keep your eyes peeled to orangefizz.net and Twitter Orange Fizz for that. And coming up after the break, we'll talk to associate editor Tyler Aki about the Fizz Top 100 list. Don't go anywhere. It's Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross here with you this Saturday morning. 
and a special guest, associate editor of Orange Fizz, and also the host of the Locked on Syracuse podcast, Tyler Aki, is here with us. Tyler, how are you doing, man? I'm good, guys. Glad to be back here on Fizz Radio. Had a lot of good times on Fizz Radio back in the day, and I'm glad to be back. Good to hear. So, Tyler, before we get into the Orange Fizz Top 100, we were just talking about Jim Beheim and the beginning of the college basketball season. So, Beheim thinks that it should start when Syracuse students leave for Thanksgiving break. Are you with him? I'm 1,000% with him on that because I think that is the best way to achieve this quasi-bubble that you're seeing have a lot of success so far with the NBA, with MLS, with the NWSL, with um, the NHL, which is supposed to start up in a little bit too. So I think when you see the success there, this is the closest way to replicate that. Now, I think this also does air closer on the side of what baseball's doing as opposed to these bubble situations that you're seeing in a number of these other leagues. But, and we have seen some hiccups so far with baseball. I mean, even we're, we're recording this on Thursday. It's supposed to be opening day today and Juan Soto's out the, the prize star for the Washington nationals. So when I see that, it, it gives me a little bit of pause as to how well it'll work, but I do think this is the best possible way to try to get college basketball going. I a hundred percent agree with Bayheim. Well, it's one of those things we've talked about two, I guess, uh, COVID-19 policy, you know, sports policies already. Mm-hmm. One is the conference games only or the five game home and home. And then we talked about delaying the college basketball season. And in both cases, I'm actually struggling to comprehend how we are reducing the risk of the virus spreading through these policies. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to get. And I, I'm with you because I think the only way that you really regionalize it is that that's the only way to do it is if you do set, okay, Syracuse, like you'd have to scrap the ACC. The, and I mean, you'd have to scrap pretty much every single conference, but everyone would have to get together and say, all right, this is the only way we can get this thing going this year. Syracuse, you're going to play Pitt. You're going to play Boston college. You're going to play Buffalo. You're going to play Rutgers. You're going to play Maryland. That's it. And you're going to do home and homes with those five schools. And you're not getting on a plane. I I think bus rides would be the best way to do it. You're there, you're back and you're moving. You don't have to to hotel it for a night. And I think once you, you want to eliminate as many external factors as possible. And I think bus trips are the best way to do that. Now, it's going to take a lot of buy-in to tell, tell a team, okay, yeah, you're, you're going to have to sit on a bus for six, maybe seven hours. And, uh, I mean, you're going to have to kind of power through it. And you'd have to be playing a lot of night games, I think. And, again, it'd be tough, too, to try to materialize all this. The logistics of getting a football team from point A to point B and you're getting off the, the bus and – pretty much having to play a football game. I mean, it's kind of like high school football all over again. Now, high school football doesn't have the six-hour bus ride. So you're probably going to have to lodge at some places, but you want to minimize that as much as possible. And I think, Gil, you mentioned this earlier. I was thinking about it during the break. It, I definitely think that these guys will buy in, Tyler, that guys who are looking towards the NFL draft will say, all right, I'm going to sacrifice my time for this bus ride to go play these games because scouts need to see my film. Same thing with basketball. Guys need to get the film, need to get the attention so they can promote themselves at the pro level. 
I think that's true. Yes. You know, a guy like Trill Williams, who is probably in a, a solid position to be an NFL draft pick this upcoming year, but maybe needs to get a little more out on his tape to convince these NFL scouts. Yes, he definitely needs it. But what happens when the, the 95th guy on the roster says, you know what? I don't care. I'd rather have a good time with my friends tonight than because I'm not going to get drafted. So what does it matter to me? that's where you run into that problem and it's going to take total team buy-in. And I mean, Ian Gill, you've, you're, you've both been on college campuses. It's if someone told you, listen, for the betterment of whatever program, for the betterment of Fizz radio, you have to not go out from the second you step on campus until winter break. Well, no, I disagree with you. You disagree. Yeah. Yeah. You say it's a tough ass. No, I disagree. And I don't look at the, the spring football positive cases as any kind of indication of what things are going to be like during the school year. Neither do I, no. Clemson, it, Clemson is not about to play anyone. So it's a completely different mindset when it comes to the players. I really think that if you're the backup long snapper, you are going to be concerned about possibly being case zero, getting the entire team infected, which includes Trill Williams. And uh, I, I do think, especially in basketball, where it's a tighter-knit group, that you are going to have good behavior on the part of the players. Yeah, I think basketball is definitely a lot easier, but you'll still see some teams check out from time to time. Football, I mean, you're trying to manage a roster of almost 100 guys. If you're trying to manage – and, I mean, we've heard it in the past. I remember Kendall Coleman saying last year how there were guys who weren't totally bought in. If you're not bought in to play a, a football season, and then this year you have to battle with all these external things on top of that too – and I mean the last year, even if you weren't, if even if you were bought in, you could still go out on the weekends or, or whatever, hang out with your friends and stuff. This you're asking them to pretty much anyone who's not on the football team, you cannot have contact with. That's essentially what you're asking out of these people. Ryan Alexander didn't buy in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, he did not. <laughs> well, it's tough as well because you've got been blocked. That that is also true. It's tough because you've got the players, and then as well the coaches, student trainers, managers. There's just so many external yeah. factors besides the players themselves that go into this football season, and we could all see it fall apart like that. A student manager gets the coronavirus, and all the players still have to go into quarantine. Yeah, I think I actually heard this on an interview earlier today with John Lester, Cubs pitcher. How you basically, too, just because someone gets it doesn't necessarily mean they're being irresponsible. I do think we have to take away the stigma of that. I mean, if Dino Babers goes to a grocery store, there's a chance he can come down with it and infect his players, infect his staff, all that. So I, I do think you do have to take the stigma out of it in the fact that just because you do come down with it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. I mean, Juan Soto. There's, we don't know what he did. He may have done nothing wrong. So that's, that's the battle you're, you're working with here. Absolutely. Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross here on Fizz Radio talking with associate editor Tyler Aki. And Tyler, let's move on to this top 100 series we've got going here on orangefizz.net. Keep in mind, you can also check out the articles on Orange Fizz at, on Twitter. And so Tyler... Top 100, we've gotten through 20 athletes so far. Are there any that stand out immediately that are too high, too low, misrepresented? Uh, can you give me a name? 
Yes. All right. We'll start with the guy who I think is ranked too high. And by too high, I mean, I think he's too close to number one on the list. And that's Malachi Richardson, who's sitting right on that fringe of the, the 80 spot. He's at 81st on these rankings. And while Malachi Richardson had a phenomenal run in the NCAA tournament, he was also a guy who at times, I mean, we saw him go 0 for 11, I believe it was, against St. John's from three. That's, that's something that I – and he had a great run in the tournament, no doubt. It got him drafted, made him a lottery pick. But when I see Wesley Johnson, who was a consensus All-American sitting at 89, and he was a – I believe he was a higher draft pick than what Malachi was Fourth back overall. in 2011. Right, yeah, exactly. So when I see that, I think, okay, the, <laughs> there's something off there. I think – I definitely think that – when you look at a guy like Wesley Johnson, he, he shouldn't even be – we shouldn't be talking about him today. I mean, that's a guy who's probably more like top 50 all-time in Syracuse. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's a top 15 guy in the sport per the writers when you say consensus All-American. So I, I see Wesley Johnson and I say, all right, he's got to be way, way higher on this list because having him at 89, that's, that's a slight to me. Totally agree with you. And in, uh, in Wesley Johnson's blurb, it says, well, he would have rate ranked higher uh, had he not been a one-and-done. Wesley Johnson is the kind of one-and-done that you have to forgive. He went yes. to the NBA. He was the, fourth, he was the overall fourth overall pick. And then he was a good NBA player. Malachi Richardson is a totally different story. He right. didn't make it in the NBA. He left he and didn't make it the in the lottery. NBA. Yes. Yep. That's when he's, you can hold it against a player. Exactly. He's now traveling around Europe going sort of year to year from team to team. And while I personally may remember Wesley Johnson for getting his ankles broken by James Harden, <laughs> he still had a long pro career. And also he's just like, he's the type of player that I look at and say, he's fundamentally solid. I never have to look at Wesley Johnson like, oh, he's taken too many bad shots. And with Malachi Richardson, there were just those games where I just – I wanted to pull my hair out. It was so tough to watch. Well, yeah, this I gets mean, to an important question. Tyler, like how did you how did you weigh the Syracuse career and the post-Syracuse career when you were ranking your players? 1,000% only put it on what they did at Syracuse. I, I don't care about their pro careers one bit. I care about what you did at Syracuse, the winning you did at Syracuse, and the impact you had on Syracuse. And – that's why I'm just going to come out right now and say my number one guy on this list is probably not the same number one guy that a lot of people had. Most people had Jim Brown, and I totally get that. But I have Jim Beheim as my number one on this list because, sure, he wasn't the greatest of players at Syracuse. Again, he was a walk-on who, who earned his way onto the roster. But without Jim Beheim, this list doesn't exist. Orange Fizz does not exist because Jim Beheim turned this school – got it into a conference in the Big East, turned it into a big-time athletics program. I'm looking at a map right now, right inside my room. There's Syracuse is one of the cities that's highlighted on there. The only reason that city is highlighted there is because of Jim Beheim. So without Jim Beheim, we're not even having this discussion. We're not talking about this list. There may not be any 1260 to score right now without Jim Beheim. I mean, we are just, we are on different planets, Tyler, just different planets. First of all, I heavily weighted post-Syracuse accomplishments because I feel okay. like that, if you're going to rank the top 100 athletes that ever went to Syracuse, to me, that's like, 
what you do after Syracuse, you are still a Syracuse athlete, and that is part of okay. your legacy. And you're that's representing fair. the Orange. You're representing the Orange even after you leave. That's so, fair. yeah, that's, that's how I look at it. What well, then I Jim think if, if that's the case, then Jim Beheim is definitely number one. Well, let, well then let, let me get to this. It's top 100 athletes. Not the top 100 most influential people or figures or – it's none of that. It's athletes. But without you got to take it more none literally. Athletes, none of these athletes are probably coming to Syracuse. No, well, I, I don't. I don't. Because some of them I don't see any. him that are on this list. But I mean, you're looking at sixty to seventy guys on this list that are not. Maybe even more. That was a super conservative number. It's probably more closer to seventy to eighty guys on this list that do not have a career at Syracuse. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, we don't, we don't, there's no athletic directors on the list. There's no, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, I took Jim it literally. Jim got athletes. this team to, got this entire athletics program to be where it is today. As a coach, it's not an athlete. The top 100 athletes list. Ian? But if he doesn't, if he doesn't work his way onto that Syracuse roster, then none of this legacy exists. It, it's really tough, guys. I'm, I'm glad you, you went at each other, and I, I will fully – well, actually, I'm going to split it 50-50. I, well, first of all, some of these – we have to keep in mind, some of these names, uh, I guess, lower down on this list, they don't have much of a professional career. Maybe the – like, women's lacrosse is not exactly a sport where there's a really noticeable pro league. Even men's lacrosse. A guy like Joel White at number 83, he's playing in the Premier Lacrosse League right now with the Chrome Lacrosse Club, but is, do we really know that much about what's going on? Like the, the average person no. doesn't really know much about what's going on yeah. in the Premier Lacrosse League. So I, there's, I think it's a bit of both. And I'll actually go off of that as well. You look at someone like Emily Harris, Chuck, too. I mean, she's one of the most dominant women's lacrosse players this program's ever had and was on her way to potentially win the Tourton this past season and is luckily going to be getting that season back. But, again, what's, what's the ceiling of what she does next? And that's why I mostly kept it into what players did at Syracuse, and I had Emily Harris Chuck a lot higher on my personal list than 84. That's all we have uh, with Tyler Aki, associate editor of Orange Fizz and host of the Locked on Syracuse podcast. Tyler, thank you for joining us today. No problem, guys. Glad to be with you. And we'll be back with Fizz Feedback here on The Score 1260. Wrapping things up here on Fizz Radio on The Score 1260, Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross. Gil, it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback. Uh, Do you have the questions pulled up? Yes, I do. All right. First one is about Andre Sisco. We've discussed him a lot. Has he played his last game in a Syracuse uniform? A yes or no question, Ian, how do you think Fizz Nation voted? Well, that's that's a pretty easy one, Gil. I would say no. Yeah, you know, I thought that it was a pretty easy one, too. Apparently not. Okay, it is no. Narrowly getting the victory. 52.4% of Fizz Nation said no. Wow. 47% of people... Um, according to our Twitter, thinks that Cisco has played his last game. Well, that's that's a pretty pessimistic outlook on the college football season, but I can see where they're getting it from. And then there's also talk that uh, perhaps if the season is moved to the spring, 
players with NFL aspirations might skip it anyway. Second question. Because the draft's not moving. Yes. Second question. Do you agree with Jim Beheim that it's safest to begin the college basketball season over Thanksgiving break? Agree? Start in 2021, ACC only, or play it by ear? Hmm. I'm going to go with agree because that's what we both went with. 45.2% of Fizz Nation agrees that the college basketball season should be played over Thanksgiving break. Great to hear, Gil. I hope that is well. That's it today on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Hope everybody has a great Saturday. For Gil Gross, I've been Ian Unsworth saying goodbye and enjoy your weekend.